Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Thursday, the 1st of February. Today, we'll delve into the Fed rate decision with my colleague Jan Bolt, who will also bring us up to date with more market headlines and highlights. Our Head of Economics and Next Generation Research, Norbert Rooker, will update us on what's catching his eye in the world of commodities. And Ronnie Kaufman from our CIO office will provide us with some insights into the latest Investment Committee meeting. My name is Bernadette Anderko, and thank you for joining us today. So let's start off with the market news. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Bernadette. It's been a busy week already, Jan. Uh, yesterday, we had the Fed's interest rate decision. And while there wasn't an imminent rate cut expected, investors were curious to see if uh, Fed President Powell would give them any form of guidance. Uh, did they get any? I guess so. Although it might not have been the guidance they were looking for, Bernadette. So speaking after the Fed's decision to keep rates on hold, Powell said he didn't think it was likely the central bank would cut rates in March and that a move wouldn't be appropriate until they gained more confidence that inflation was moving sustainably towards 2%. Uh, So that was the hawkish part. But looking at the statement revisions in detail, the meeting solidified the Fed's dovish pivot. They are no longer talking about the extent of any additional policy tightening, which I think opens up the potential for rate cuts at future meetings, just not in March. So uh, to make it short, I would say the Fed is getting closer to the first interest rate cut, but we are not there yet. All right. So bond markets were already rallying before the uh, Fed meeting. Were they able to hold on to their gains? It really was a strong rally in both Europe and the US. Uh, two-year US treasuries were down more than 14 basis points at one point. That's that's a lot for this market. Uh, the reason for the strong moves ahead of the FOMC was the ADP employment report, uh, which showed a faster than expected slowdown in hiring, but uh, more importantly, the surprise loss of a New York bank, uh, which raised concerns about the health of regional lenders and well, brought back memories of last March's banking turmoil. In Europe, the story was largely one of softer price data. So in the end, both US and European government bond yields ended the day between 10 and 14 basis points lower. Uh, Equity markets, however, had quite a tough day. Uh, U.S. equities were hit by disappointing earnings from some of the biggest tech companies. Uh, Don't get me wrong, these were good numbers, uh, but the expectations were just huge. And Powell's comments during the press conference didn't uh, really help. So the Nasdaq underperformed down 2.2% and the S&P 500 closed 1.6% weaker. Equities in Europe started the day in the green, but also were dragged lower in the afternoon session, down 0.3%. Italy and Spain were the only regions to gain on the day, and the US dollar strengthened against most other major currencies. You just mentioned the impact of yesterday's decision on the US dollar. So an important question for investors remains, especially if you invest globally, which central bank will cut rates first, the ECB or the Fed? What do you think after yesterday's meeting? That's a good point, Bernadette. Um, Our economists expect the ECB to make the first move, uh, mainly because the region's economic development is weaker. Uh, GDP data this week showed already that the eurozone stagnated in Q4, just avoiding a recession. And yesterday's weaker-than-expected retail sales out of Germany was another data point that showed broad weakness in Europe's largest economy. And today's final PMIs from the eurozone uh, will probably point into the same direction. 
At the same time, we see consumer prices continuing to fall, which should make the decision easier for the ECB, right? I mean, French CPI fell by 0.2% in January, according to data published yesterday. That's the third monthly decline in the last six months. And inflation in Germany also came in below expectations. Uh, exactly, Bernadette. Uh, in fact, in Germany, we've also seen a monthly decline of 0.2% in January, bringing the year-on-year figure down to 3.1%. Uh, later today, we'll get the Eurozone CPI uh, with the consensus expecting a moderation to 2.7%, also down from the previous month. Uh, I mean, still, ECB officials are not getting tired of insisting that it's too early to declare victory over inflation. Powell reiterated yesterday that they need greater confidence in the disinflation path. But look, um, while each country is moving at its own pace, the trend towards lower inflation in the region and globally is well established. Uh, and yesterday's U.S. Employment Cost Index, uh, which gives a broad indication of U.S. compensation and is an important data point also for the Fed, uh, showed the same picture with an increase of 0.9% in Q4, which was not only below expectations, but also below last quarter's data. Let's move on to today then. Um, Our next central bank delivers a verdict. We've got the Bank of England rate decision uh, this afternoon. And also here, markets are not expecting any changes. Is there anything else to watch out for? Well, Sweden's central bank is also expected to leave rates unchanged. And on the microphone, we'll get the weekly US jobless claims and the ISM manufacturing index. In China, the Kaijin manufacturing PMI came in uh, as expected this morning in expansion territory. This and some officials' comments on fiscal spending were supporting markets. The Hang Seng is up 0.5% this morning, uh, while most other Asian markets fell following the weak US session. Um, other than that, well, of course, the earnings season will gather pace, uh, with Apple, Amazon and Meta reporting this evening after the close. So let's see what the day brings. That's all from me this morning, Bernadette. Thank you so much for bringing us up to speed, Jan. Thanks for having me on. So now it's time to delve into the world of commodities with Norbert Rucker. Good morning, Norbert. Good morning. So I think we ought to talk about oil today, Norbert. Uh, Saudi Arabia caused quite a stir earlier this week, surprising everyone as they shelved their oil production expansion plans. What's this all about? Well, the state-owned oil company announced to keep production capacity at today's 12 million barrels per day instead of increasing it over the coming years to 13. Um, the surprise with that is that uh, Saudi Arabia has been kind of the most outspoken about seeing structural oil demand growth, uh, mainly driven by emerging markets. So this announcement is really interpreted as a major shift. And there's obviously lots of tea leaf reading, um, especially because the overall environment, the oil market is one where the opinions about the long-term prospects are uh, quite divided. Um, If you look at the oil market today, the reality is that uh, the market has quite ample spare capacity. Only from Saudi Arabia, there's currently roughly 3 million barrels per day of unused production capacity already. And uh, you see also various other countries that are investing quite a bit in increasing oil production. So think about the United States, think about the Americas with Brazil, Guyana, but also in the Middle East with the Emirates, United Arab Emirates and uh, Kuwait. So how do you see the bigger picture of the oil market then and, and its long-term prospects? 
Well, we're in the camp that sees a structural trend change this decade. So basically, we're talking about all demand peaking uh, this decade. Uh, basically, as the energy transition and the shift to electric mobility erodes fuel consumption, something we already witnessed in the Western world. Um, so this decade seems less at risk of lasting capacity constraints than previous uh, decades. And uh, there's even another aspect, uh, which is a great challenge for the patronations. If you have a market, if you have a business that moves into a period of stagnation, if not decline, you usually see a structural downshift in its cost base. The reason is quite simple, because instead of having more of the capital intensive uh, expansions, you know, into new areas, the so-called greenfield expansions, you rather have the less capital intensive um, brownfield expansions. So basically, you're working maintenance on something existing, existing infrastructure. And uh, with this kind of dynamics in mind, we think that the oil's longer term prospects and especially the cost anchor, the so-called cost anchor, is rather in the 60s than the 70s. I think this is a background that will create some great challenges and mostly more geopolitical surprises uh, going forward. All right, then you talk about going forward. So focusing on the months ahead, what is our view on oil? Well, quite simple, we maintain a neutral view. We see oil prices trending into the 70s this year, uh, just as the futures curve itself, so the market itself predicts. Uh, the reason is that oil supply should remain ample um, amidst uh, overall soft economy, amidst stagnant demand, and amidst uh, production growth in the Americas. That's it. Great, Norbert. Thanks so much for being on the show today. And now it's that time of the week when we investigate our latest investment committee meeting. And today, Ronnie Kaufman is joining us for the update. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Bernadette. Uh, well, we might as well dive straight in. Um, what's the investment committee been discussing lately? Yes, we've already heard we're in the middle of a pretty busy week in terms of both macroeconomic data releases and corporate earnings reports. So top of the agenda this week are the results of several of the so-called Magnificent Seven stocks. You know, the famous cohort of US mega cap technology companies that some investors have started to view as an asset class on their own, including Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, Microsoft Media, and Tesla. While Alphabet and Microsoft reported on Tuesday already, Apple, Amazon, and Meta Platforms are due to report today. Looking at market action, it's interesting because so far this year, it has been actually more of the same. As in 2023, the Magnificent Seven have led equity markets as well in the early weeks of 2024. Okay, so we've had results from Alphabet and Microsoft, but what can we expect uh, from the rest of the tech earnings reports this week? Admittedly, the bar seems to have been set rather high as the price reactions to the Microsoft and Alphabet announcements have just shown earlier this week. The Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey has also just identified long the Magnificent Seven to be the most crowded trade out there. So clearly, from a positioning point of view, there is arguably little room for error. But, you know, without going into specific numbers and looking beyond possible short-term share price developments, it is hard to ignore the world's growing dependence on the largest information technology companies. A closer look at the remarkably narrow market breadth as of late reveals a major shift in the nature of stock market performance since the beginning of this decade. In the 20 years prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, equally weighted portfolios tended to outperform their market cap weighted counterparts, actually by a rather comfortable margin. 
The narrative at the time was that larger, more mature companies could not match the growth rates of smaller, innovative companies. But since the start of the pandemic, the tide has turned and market cap weighted indices have started to significantly outperform their equally weighted counterparts. All right, so how do we explain this shift? And uh, more importantly, is it sustainable? So there are essentially three factors that uh, mainly help to explain it. First, the sharp rise in interest rates has actually boosted the earnings of large companies with strong balance sheets, as the huge piles of cash they are sitting on now pay more than 5% when invested in US Treasury bills or in other short-term money market instruments. Second, larger companies with greater investment capacity are better able to cope with the supply chain disruptions, as well as with the volatile energy prices that have prevailed in the post-pandemic world. Third, and maybe most importantly, the Magnificent Seven companies operate in industries with huge addressable markets, where economies of scale and network effects are more important and valuable than ever. So how do we expect them to continue to dominate the stock market in the foreseeable future? We think the odds are there because by now it became quite clear that the end of the free money era is hitting the average company much harder than large cap companies with strong balance sheets, which includes the Magnificent Seven. Over the past year, most of the Magnificent Seven companies have shown that they can successfully transform themselves from pure growth engines into major quality companies that can even tap into new growth markets. So strategically, we continue to advise that investors should favor investments able to capitalize on secular tailwinds rather than strategies that seek to profit from mean reversion. Because, you know, the latter might probably work in the short term, but our investment process incorporates a view that they should not work structurally. Just keep in mind that business models will continue to be disrupted by the emergence of new technologies and long-term investors cannot afford to miss out on investing in the companies that are at the forefront of this disruption. And at this point, you know, arguably to varying degrees for the individual names in the cohort, but in aggregate, the Magnificent Seven stocks consistently prove that they should not be dismissed in this regard. Their ability to convert a large proportion of every additional dollar of revenue into free cash flow remains simply unmatched. That's all for me for today. Thanks so much for joining the show today, Ronnie. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and you for listening. And please don't forget to join us again tomorrow when Helen Freer will be back, hosting more of our experts to guide you through what's moving markets. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. 
Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite Podcast Player. <lacht>